Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Lynn. I like everyone better. And everybody is a funny word, isn't it? Everybody. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Good to see. Yeah. Good to see you. All is one. Um, this morning, here at School for a Course in Miracles, we are working our way through the course in a linear progression, uh, as we did when we made the journey through the text. And our subject matter is the attainment of the real world. Um, the attainment of the real world being something, um, being uh, a state of mind that is already available to us um, and something that um, we don't have to struggle to quote, attain, but something rather that we need to, to um, learn another way to look at the world and um, look at the world through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of love, and to see it uh, in terms of what we're going to be looking at today, uh, the Holy Spirit sees only love or calls for love. He doesn't see errors and make them real. Um, so um, seeing errors and making it real is uh, evidence of the unhealed healer. He sees something in his brother uh, other than love or a call for love, in which case uh, the, um, the need would be automatically filled, a call for love. It's my call for love because there's only one of us here. So it's, it's um, uh, not about finding out who's got the problem. If, if there's a problem, we all have the problem, right? <laughs> so, um, and the thing that we're going to look at specifically today is our fear of healing. Uh, last time we looked at um, our fear of asking and we, you know, where we um, avoid asking at all costs because we think it is gonna cost us something. We think that if we ask for help and, um, and we're willing to receive that, that help that somehow there's gonna be a sacrifice. We're gonna lose something that is valuable to us. And in this case, um, uh, learning that uh, the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit, that he only sees love and calls for love. Um, it's, it's a way, uh, <laughs> Jesus said in the, in the last chapter, uh, you don't need to go there, but it, he said, uh, you, don't, you don't know the meaning of anything you perceive 
anything we're seeing to the body's eyes. We do not understand it. We don't know the meaning of it. And not one thought that we hold about it, the other person. In other words, that we're saying, you know, it's not a call for love, but it's an attack. So Jesus is trying to get us to change our thinking so that we begin to understand that there's no such thing as attack. We can't be attacked and we can't attack. That it's part of what needs to be um, corrected. Further in that paragraph, he says, um, you are not misguided, but in this case, you've accepted no guide at all. You're not misguided, you've accepted no guide at all. And he said, instruction in perception is your great need for you understand nothing. In other words, if you think you understand something and it's an attack and you see it as an attack and you react to it as an attack, then you're literally seeing something that's not there but you're seeing it because you wished for it. You wanted to see it. And there are some um, ego reasons for that. He says, you, you meaning me, I need to ask what anything is for, what is it for? Why do I need enemies? <laughs> Why do I need to find justifications for attack? What's it for? And we're gonna find out today, as I did, <laughs> that its purpose is to find a scapegoat so I don't have to admit my need for healing. So I see it out there. But I'm an unhealed healer. I, I, I can't help because I still believe in errors. I still believe in sin. I still believe in guilt. But above all, I do not want to look at the, at, at the fact that the fear is in me. And I'm using my brother as a scapegoat so I don't have to admit I'm fearful. So um, let's see. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, this is a little bit of a repeat of going back to the previous chapter, 11, before we move into the judgment of the Holy Spirit. And it's paragraph 14. You, my child, my dear, beloved, sweet, innocent child, you are afraid of your brother's of your father 
and of yourself. But we don't want to admit that. We'd rather be deceived in our brothers than than admit our own self-deception. And he goes on to say, ask the teacher of reality. And hearing his answer, you will laugh at all your fears because the teacher reality, again, is the Holy Spirit who's going to teach us to, you know, a way to see um, that all we see is love or calls for love. And so that we, we ultimately correct ourselves of, of the attack mode. <laughs> uh, another place that I was uh, thinking very related to this is back on page 30, early on, chapter two. Paragraph seven, page 30, the first corrective step in undoing, this is the first corrective step in undoing fear. So what we're about here is undoing fear, realizing first of all, we're the one that's fearful and then undoing that fear. The first corrective step is to know that any conflict is an expression of fear. In fact, there's either love or fear. So we can simplify the whole thing and say, I'm either feeling love or I'm feeling fear. Say to yourself that you somehow must have chosen not to love. Or the fear could not have arisen. So, you know, I I was looking at this idea of seeing only love or calls for love. And when there's a call for love, the natural effortless response is to respond with love. And then you take a look at the world and you just get a picture of how much we are denying that the call for love is our own and that we're the ones that need healing. We must have decided not to love. And so if we saw love or calls for love, the the response would, would simply you, you could not not respond in an appropriate way, whatever that might be. But all behavior would follow that understanding that there really is only love. Love and calls for love. And we would respond um, accordingly. And so, you know, my my own realization
um, began with the realization uh, that he, he says in our lesson today, or yesterday, I'm sorry, yesterday, you can't see two worlds. And I'm realizing the attainment of the real world is the complete, complete forgiveness of the unreal world. The unreal world in which attack makes a lot of sense and withholding makes a lot of sense. I mean, to an ego, it surely does. Because it, it, it protects my need for healing over and over. I see that. And, you know, the attainment of the real world, there can't be a speck of value in attack. So those are the, the, the two worlds. It's love or fear. It's attack or forgiveness. And, and you can't have the speck of the unreal in the real and attain the real world. <laughs> so it, it was like, whoa, whoa. This is, you know, this is like moving into... You know, I knew when we started this that a lot was going to come up because I shared very openly with you that um, uh, this is very um, self-centered in the way that I really want to know the real world. And I recognize that I don't. And I think I have glimmerings of it. And I think there have been moments, but to have that steady state, which the real world is the steady state when you see the world only through the eyes that forgiveness has blessed, only through forgiving eyes. And that there's no more attraction to projecting guilt and our fear of healing outside of ourselves. And you know, we, we see that my brother's healing is my healing. And, uh, you know, because we really are, are the same one. And so, um, uh, the, uh, the need for self-inquiry, I guess is what I wanted to say, the need for self-inquiry. So, um, um, that idea that I must have chosen not to love is the first step, you know. I must be wanting to find problems. So um, I wrote a little bit about inquiry, actually yesterday. Um, it's essential that we learn how to look within but we're afraid to look within because we've always looked without because we're always looking for scapegoats <laughs> and we're always looking for somebody to blame or even just something to be wrong, something to go wrong, you know, because the, un, the unhealed healer, Jesus tells us, can accomplish nothing, nothing. 
he will always find something that needs fixing. Because <laughs> he doesn't know that nothing needs fixing. He will always find something like in the last chapter, I remember Jesus saying, you, nothing can be totally good to the ego. There's always got to be a little bit of something wrong with it. Right? Everybody know that place? Sure we do. So nothing is all totally good. Well, everything being good, he says, is a step to learning that there is only one thing and there's no opposite. But ultimately, good and bad, you know, good and bad are undone. Beyond right and wrong, there's a field. I'll meet you there. You know, ultimately, we're all going to meet up in the field of beyond right and wrong and good and bad. But all good would be a good start. <laughs> but no, the unhealed healer, of course, there's always got to be a little bit of something wrong. Can't be all good. So the unhealed healer tries to give what he doesn't have. He doesn't, you know, hasn't um, realized that there's only love. And then in the, in the thing we're going to learn today about perception and how badly we need healed perception, and we need education in this, um, is going to be, again, there's only love or calls for love. Um, ultimately, I saw that what, what the accomplishment or the, what the real world would be internally is that we would see ourselves as only loving and lovable, totally worthy of help. Whenever I need it, help is available. Jesus will never leave me comfortless. And I am worthy of that. I am worthy to accept and receive that love. And secondly, um, so I'm lovable and I'm also loving. I only see love and calls for love. So these are the two steps I think are interesting. He put one in chapter 11, and in this one, he's putting the one where you would, you would only extend love, love or cause for love. So back to self-inquiry. Um, I hope this will be helpful. Um, the ego's defense against looking within is always, I'll change my behavior. I won't change my mind and learn what healing really is, what healing really is, the end of fear, and it's inside. I'll, I'll do a nicer job. I'll be a little kinder. I'll pay more attention. Uh, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll be a better person. How can I be more helpful? It's just, that's the way we do it. And we don't see it as a defense at all. 
but it's still covering up that it is my mind that needs healing because I'm the one that's afraid. Um, so learning to look within um, and to become a healed healer, we first have to see our need for healing. I need healing. If there's any fear at all in the perception, if I refuse to see my brother's call for help, if I refuse to see my brother's call for help and I call it something else, guess what I call it? An attack. And it justifies my attack back. Because the ego is always looking for justification for attack. It's how it preserves individuality. And it it's how we prevent ourselves from being healed. So a closed mind will not question at all. So if I'm not asking a lot of questions, the likelihood of attainment of the real world and finding myself as loving and lovable is not likely. What is this for? What is my always finding fault for? What is my always finding something failing just a little bit? Myself included, myself included. It's arrogant not to ask questions, given the position we are in here and the goal we have set for ourselves, it is totally arrogant not to be asking questions of ourselves. It thinks it knows. Who thinks it knows? The ego thinks it knows. Uh, that separation is reality. You're over there, I'm over here, we're different. And we learned last chapter two that Christ cannot come into what is different. Healing cannot come into what is different. It comes into what is the same. My brother and I are the same. But a crack in the mind, an opening in the mind comes when the mind starts to ask real questions of purpose. I know I took this from a writing by Ken somewhere, but I honestly, I just have that sense that this is where this conversation came from. Because it's always a question of purpose. And the more we ask questions, the more that crack opens. Instead of our stubborn insistence in being right, I'm right about everything. Now there's a little crack of, of questioning and it opens to the light. The crack in everything, in other words, the Leonard Cohen song, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Well, you know, first the crack is pretty small, but you know, this is about opening up the crack. Um, asking questions for the purpose of coming to clarity is very helpful. Asking, what is this for, is a question of purpose. 
Why do I want this? Why do I want problems? Why do I want enemies? Why do I want suffering? Real questions about content, not form. Real questions are about content, not form. Pseudo questions are statements that illusions are real. And then we ask a question about the illusion. You know, how do I fix this? How did the, how did the separation happen? That's a pseudo question. It didn't. So asking questions about what didn't happen, <laughs> go nowhere, right? <laughs> the mind that thinks it knows is closed. It believes separation has happened. So that would be the error, the belief that the separation has happened. In other words, my brother's call for help is not mine. He's got a call for help, but it's not mine. At the mind level, there's separation never happened. If there's a call anywhere, it's my call because there's only one of us here. Um, the mind opens up by questioning all assumptions. We know that over and over, Jesus says, question the value of everything that you believe leading to a state of peace. And you know you've achieved a state of peace when there are no questions. They've all been answered. You're the, you're the answer, <laughs> you know, you're the answer. You're both loving and, and lovable. So one of the questions that arises is, is uh, when we start to realize that um, our need for help and our need for healing um, and the admission that we are uh, afraid, fear shows us, uh, fear shows us our need for healing. This is, this is what we must see. And it's not, not a shame. Somehow, I don't know, does anybody feel that the admission that you're afraid and you need healing feels shameful? Yeah, let's see, Lynn and then Judy, I think, Lynn? Yeah, I mean, my whole status in life has been the one being the one with all the answers. I've got answers for everybody about everything. And my, my grandson, when he was six years old, we were sitting on the swing and I was giving him another piece of advice about how to stay safe. And he said, Nana, he said, you worry about everything. And that was the beginning for me of a real turnaround. I had, it took a six-year-old to tell me 
how crazy I was. So that's been yeah. my experience. Yeah. yeah. We're really used to having the answers, aren't we? Or thinking we have the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Lynn. It's a really humbling thing to begin to look at and recognize our own need for healing. Yeah, Judy. Well, um, I think people have called me Ms. Know-it-all occasionally. <laughs> I always think, <laughs> I just, if there was just one, you know, I always, you know, I'm busy planning ahead with how I'll find out about this and that so I can know more. I'm surprised I haven't blown up. Um, and of course, you know, it's an admission. It seems to be an admission sometimes that um, I'm lacking. I ought to know everything. By this stage in life, being an old lady, you know, people ought to be coming to me for answers. And <laughs> I get caught with my mouth hanging open. <laughs> I see a lot of fist bumps around around on the screen because, you know, <coughs> I'm telling you, when I really, really read this and really looked at it, <clears throat> I spent my whole life teaching something. It has always been, so I don't care if I wanted to learn it, I had to teach it because I had to know all about it, you know, <laughs> and it's like, oh, bless my heart. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. You need healing. <laughs> Kathy. Yeah, I know for me, it seems that a lot of times my fear is actually unconscious and it'll come out in the form of anger or jealousy or whatever other negative trait of the ego. I didn't know if anybody else had had that experience, but I, sometimes I just can't get in touch with the fear, but I do be, get in touch with the anger. And isn't it always fear? Am I right? Am I am I right in that that it's always fear that's behind the anger or the jealousy or the feelings of deprivation or all the ego traits? Yeah, but we usually carry on with, with the anger and act out the anger and project the anger, and we don't ever come to again. Uh oh, I I'm the one that needs the healing. You know, anger is another defense against healing. Yeah. Yep. I was I was thinking about the action on the elevator, you know, elevator gossip versus self-inquiry. <laughs> like what a title for a book. Elevator gossip versus self-inquiry. So, you know, we live in a building full of 100 seniors and there's a lot of potential for a little one minute, minute and a half gossip session on the elevator, just trying to get out of the building. And part of me actually looks forward to it because I'm going to find out what's wrong with the building. <laughs> That's where you find out. <laughs> or, or I could use the very thing I'm indulging in could be the way back. It could be the doorway. The elevator gossip could literally be the doorway for self-inquiry. Like, what is this really for? I mean, it looks like we're trying to connect out of fear. If, are you afraid of the same thing I am? Are you reacting to the same? I mean, we're, it looks like we're trying to connect. And in a sense, we are. That's the call for help. But I mean, it, it's reinforcing that my separate self out of fear can connect with your separate self that's in fear too. And what a sad thing. It's not reinforcing we're the son of God 
and everything's already okay. I don't have to say all that out loud, but I mean, you know, that's the call for help. I'm trying to connect, but I'm basing it on this sense of self that could be afraid in the first place. Right. You and me. Yeah, I mean, one of the great ways of, of the apparency of joining is joining against a common enemy. I mean, that's what nations do, you know. We join against a, a common en- enemy and, that, and it, there's a, a pseudo sense of joining, like you were saying, but it's, that's not joining, you know. Any other um, confessions? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought maybe uh, for a moment we could just all say together, I'm afraid, <laughs> and see what that feels like. One, two, three, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm just willing, you know, I'm afraid. <laughs> because, I mean, to me, that's, that's about as close to sin as you can get, is being afraid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe an, a, enough of this. So um, let me see. Lynn, uh, it's, it's Lynn. I just, I just thought about that. You know, it's like saying I'm afraid. I mean, I'm afraid all the time, but when I say it, I'm really admitting that I don't have the answers. And that is, that's really what all of the, the doing and the thinking and the knowing is all about is having an answer so that I don't have to know that I don't have the answer. Right. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks. That's, you know, such a, a good observation. You know, I'm afraid I don't know. I don't know anything. That's what we're avoiding. He said, you don't know anything about anything. (laughs) Okay. Um, So just just again to reiterate, we're never going to be able to escape from the fear without seeing our need for it. It's not gonna happen. So if we insist upon covering it up, uh, and we're not willing to say, what is it for? What is this for? Why am I holding on to it? Then um, we're never going to see the way the Holy Spirit sees. So maybe we should go to that now. Um, And that is going to be... I wanted to point out this quote from uh, Joan of Arc. Lynn got this for me. I'm not afraid. I was born to do this. (laughs) I was born to be a son of God, (laughs) not this terrified thing (laughs) running around gossiping with other people about what I'm afraid of. (laughs) I'm not afraid. I was born to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were all born to wake up or or actually to wake up to the fact that we were never born, correct? The never born can never die. So to wake up to the, our true identity is, is spirit. Spirit is in a state of grace forever. My reality is only spirit, therefore I am in a state of grace forever. 
And then everything else is a denial of that. And the big, the big denial that we're looking at today is our denial of fear, the refusal to see it for what it is. So page 215, the judgment of the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of a slog to get through this. So I think we'll, we'll do, um, you know, take a turn on the paragraphs. And um, what we did the other day, which was so helpful, um, you'll read a paragraph, I'll, I'll assign them. <laughs> you have to remember your, your place or number. And uh, you can comment on the paragraph in the context of what we're talking about here, our need for healing. So uh, let's start. Um, let me see here. Uh, if you don't have a book, would you let me know right now? Would you wave or something? So if you're not going to be able to read. Okay, Alexa won't be able to read. Okay. Anybody else won't be able to read? All right, great. So, um, Bebby, uh, we'll start with you at the top, and you read paragraph one. What page, though? Sorry. 215. Okay, thanks. All right, everybody, find your page, 215. <laughs> 215. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so, Bebby, paragraph one. David Delaplane. Paragraph two, Lynn, paragraph three, Oris, paragraph four, Rebecca, five, Lisa, six, Kathy Cosen, seven, eight, Bruce. Nine, Kathy Jones. Ten, Myra. All right. Let's do it with some gusto. <laughs> yes, we really want to hear this, right? We really want to hear this. <laughs> Calls for love. Okay. Let's see. Debbie, you start. Okay. You've been told not to make error real. And the way to do this is very simple. You, if you want to believe in error, you would have to make it real because it's not true. But truth is real in its own right. And to believe in truth, you do not have to do anything. Understand that you do not respond to anything directly, but to your interpretation of it. Your interpretation thus becomes the justification for the response. That is why analyzing the motives of others is hazardous to you. If you decide that someone is really trying to attack you or desert you or enslave you, you will respond as if he had actually done so, having made this error real to you. To interpret error is to give it power and having done this to you will overlook truth. <laughs> Any comments, Bebby? Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, um, I do it all the time, but, um, 
And then when I think I'm relaxing, uh, I guess when I think I'm relaxing, I'm actually doing it. So, um, and it's quite powerful when I wake up to it and catch myself. It's just so comforting. Great, great. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Bevy. All right, David Delaplane. <clears throat> the analysis of the ego motivation is very complicated, very obscuring, and never without your own ego involvement. The whole process represents a clear-cut attempt to demonstrate your own ability to understand what you perceive. This is shown by the fact that you react to your interpretation as if they were correct. You may then control your reactions behaviorally, but not emotionally. This would obviously be a split or an attack on the integrity of your mind, pitting one level within it against another. You know, that's pretty uh, profound to talk, talk about the ego, analyzing the ego. Uh, you're, you're, you're in a circular sort of a motion there. Uh, we're, we're trying to demonstrate that our ego has the answer and uh, that my interpretation is correct. So I try to control what I think I understand behaviorally, but then that doesn't internalize into my own emotion. Um, it's just kind of interesting to me how the ego tries to analyze the ego and then deal with it at the ego level and never at this level of spirit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, David. Did anybody else want to weigh in on that? I don't know. Lynn, did you have want to weigh in on what David said? Oh, okay. All righty. Okay. Your turn, Lynn. Yeah. I was just getting ready to read, but oh. I'm going to say I spent thousands of years in therapy doing just that, thinking I was getting somewhere. But actually, there was some progress was made. Some stuff needed to be unearthed, so not all wasted. Right. right. Oh, thank goodness that's not the end. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. That's right. <laughs> yes. There is but one interpretation of motivation that makes any sense. And because it is the Holy Spirit's judgment, it requires no effort at all on your part. Every loving thought is true. Everything else is an appeal for healing and help, regardless of the form it takes. Can anyone be justified in responding with anger to a brother's plea for help? No response can be appropriate except the willingness to give it to him. For this and only this is what he is asking for. Offer him anything else and you are assuming the right to attack his reality by interpreting it as you see fit. Perhaps the danger of this to your own mind is not yet fully apparent. If you believe that an appeal for help is something else, you will react to something else. Your response will therefore be inappropriate to reality as it is, but not to your perception of it. Um, boy, it is really, I mean, I have that whole thing about priding myself on my perception, my ability to see the real motive behind everybody's actions, including my own, has been such a powerful 
of self-identity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's how I, you know, maintain my position. Not that anybody <laughs> elevates me the way I've elevated myself, but um, it, it just, that, that sentence, every loving thought is true. It's like, you don't have to, that's the whole, you'd never have to do anything else, but, but come to know that and everything would be answered. Um, and so I, I just feel really clear now that, that I have no hope in my perceptions, that I really, they will always be wrong. So I, I, I feel like I'm real open to the idea that there is help available. So thanks. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. And, and it, you know, a part of that is the recognition, as you said, I need healing. You know, all my perceptions are wrong, you know. Uh, I, I need healing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Maurice. You're on mute. You're on mute, Maurice. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. There is nothing to prevent you from recognizing all calls for help as exactly what they are, except your own imagined need to attack. It is only this that makes you willing to engage in endless battles with reality, in which you deny the reality of the need for healing by making it unreal. You would not do this except for your unwillingness to accept reality as it is, and which you therefore withhold from yourself. Just reiterating what everyone else has been saying. Oh gosh, it's just like, I really don't know anything, you know, and, and I think I have all this time and it's been very challenging to completely kind of erase and back off. Like, yeah, I'm at the age where I should be giving out wisdom to other people. <laughs> That's how I tell them. <laughs> But I need to, it's really been against my natural way to completely back off and say, No, I don't know, you know, and to be willing to say that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks, Aris. In a way, I think it's a tremendous burden off, you know, when we come to the place where we realize we don't know anything, we don't have to know anything. And that's the gateway to seeing reality is here and direct perception is possible, direct, as in no interpretation in between. It's the, you know, it's the belief that our interpretations of another's behavior, and then we react to our interpretation, that's not seeing, you know, that's the complete denial of seeing. And when, when that's done, there's just a direct perception of our brother, a healing perception. In fact, forgiveness. Forgiveness looks, watches, waits, judges not, and does nothing. It and, to says, that, and to have that big blankness, to leave the blankness in my mind, you know, not automatically just start, I, I'm catching myself automatically with this whole script going on. And to see that, Sometimes, I, even if I can't stop it, I just have to watch it. 
Right. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's it's an, another way to look at it is getting empty of our identity of knowing everything, being completely empty of self, separated self, allows us to to uh, Christ to come into that and let me see, you know, let me see that my brother and I are the same one to teach us, to show us what's really, really here. If we stop all of that um, interpretation of what we think is going on, the motivation of others. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Rebecca. It is surely good advice to tell you not to judge what you do not understand. No one with a personal investment is a reliable witness for truth to him has become what he wants it to be. If you are unwilling to perceive an appeal for help as what it is, it is because you are unwilling to give help and to receive it. To fail to recognize a call for help is to refuse help. Would you maintain that you do not need it? Yet this is what you are maintaining when you refuse to recognize a brother's appeal for only by answering his appeal can you be helped. Deny him your help and you will recognize God, God's answer to you. You will not recognize God's answer to you. The Holy Spirit does not need your help in interpreting motivation, but you do need his. I always know it's something that is difficult to hear when I can't read it properly. <laughs> um, you know, this is really diff. This is, yeah, like when we started reading it, I can, again, another sign is that I physically start to feel icky. Like I get this weird kind of anxiety, like sickness. My mind's like, oh, well, you don't want to read. Maybe you should go read the paragraph first and think of something smart to say. And it's just... I, all I can say is that this is hard to hear because um, it's saying that even when I don't recognize something, even when the ego says it doesn't recognize something, it's a, it, underneath it is the denial. Like even when I want to say, oh, but I didn't know. No, I knew something new. And so it's, it's this accountability that... Um, it's difficult to accept this accountability um, for making real what the ego wants to make real. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's very humbling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and thank you, you know, thank you everyone for sharing this, this space that, that of, of humility. <laughs> together <laughs> yeah. Chris Chris Jansenism um I re how's my sound because I'm not used, used to this it's good I'm in kind of a sound chamber too um I can remember Ken saying something about uh, one of the uh lectures he was giving about the people that have a really hard time with the course even getting to believe in it are ones that have a very strong mind 
uh, I guess people that really do think they know everything or they're very smart or they, their mind is very strong. And um, this is what it's reminded me of because I think of when I read this, I think of people I know that are just so sharp and I'm, I'm in, almost intimidated to talk to them about anything because that they make a profession out of it. But he said, those people just, uh, it, and it, it tells me you have to have a little humility or a little uh, belief that maybe I don't know everything, you know, but I'm so good at it. And it's hard to give that up. I think the other thing he said, and I'd like some feedback on this, is it's difficult when it comes to the tiny mad idea that, uh, you know, they'll ask, well, how do you know that happened? How do you know that happened? You're just taking that on faith. Well, you are kind of taking it on faith. But the other thing is, um, he would say, who gives a flip about how it happened or when it happened? It's, you're, you're doing it right now. You're, you're, not, you're believing in that tiny idea right now. Just go from there. So um, yeah. anyway, I don't know why it is, but it's, it's my brother-in-law that just tears everything apart. He studies everything. He knows about all the wars in the world and who did what. And it's like, holy cow. And I, I want to... You know, there's a part of me wants to tell him, well, that's just, that's just a defense that you've built up. And I can do that. I can do that own analyzing him, you know, while your <laughs> mother died when you were 11 and that really hurt you and your dad was a creep and you had to develop all these strengths to survive. And you turned out being really smart and really athletic and all these things that like amazing. But, uh, uh, anyway, so my own, my own, uh, um, defenses go into there. And, and a real brief story, because I worked with somebody yesterday, I'm substitute teaching, and I had this class, and it was fine. It was art. Everybody was doing fine. And she came in halfway through and kind of took over and was what I thought critical of the kids that weren't working. I didn't care. I just told them to draw anything they want. I guess there was an assignment. But I can and so I went home thinking, now, this is a good opportunity to learn that, you know, this woman is, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with her? You know, she needs to get the stick out of her butt. Come on. And so anyway, I did pray about this. I said, uh, Jesus, help me see, uh, her name had to be Becky, the way you steer. Let me look at her the way you do. And something uh, uh, Tim said as I was over listening in one of the uh, breakout groups, because I was... Um, only listening that day, but how he um, asked Jesus, let me see this person the way you do. So today I, I came to work and I'd asked that I came to work and she comes bouncing into the room where we're sitting, not a classroom. And it's, Oh, Mr. Jansen, how you doing? Yeah. It just is delighted as could be. And just a whole nother side and all this stuff I learned about it reminded me of the time that I, uh, picked the person that I couldn't stand, even though I played golf with him. And I just started looking at him differently and it just totally um, changed my life really. But this was a mini one of that. And it's just, uh, I don't know where all that fits in there, but so be it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. In re reference to your tiny mad idea, you know, anytime I'm afraid, I'm reenacting my belief in the tiny mad idea you know, that I separated from God. I mean, that's, that's, that's why we don't want to get back to our admission of fear and, and have it corrected. You know, it's like, ultimately, 
the fear of God. The final fear, right, is the fear of God. Yeah. Well, that uh, uh, I won't apologize for taking so much time because that's this one's been on my mind too. I was thinking maybe I could shortcut all this forgiveness, but every time I'm mad at somebody or upset or anything, can I just go straight back to that wrong decision when I made uh, chose the uh, ego instead of the Holy Spirit and just be done with it that way, or do I have to actually look at the problem that's arising in me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Can I do that? Can I, I feel like I'm cheating if I do that? Well, you are. You're cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> I just wanted to say, okay, I made a mistake uh, at the beginning of time, which there wasn't any anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll do anything to short circuit the admission that we're afraid, you know? Yes. And yeah. that's so, part of direction. Yeah. Part of what we did as a course community, hopefully we're doing it a little bit less uh, these days, is instead of calling somebody a pain in the butt, which is what we were thinking, we, we'd say, oh, they just, they're just having a call for love. Like it was their call for love. They were being a pain in the butt. And, and, and what uh, this paragraph was all about is if I refuse to see that your call for love is my call for love, then I'm refusing help. I'm refusing to ask Jesus to help you see, help me see you the way, like, like Chris did with the girl. And then she came in all bouncing. So the next time she doesn't come in all bouncing, it's Chris's fault because <laughs> he didn't see her <laughs> the right way. No, no, not that. But, but that whole thing is, is your, you're a pain in the butt. It's your call for love. It's not mine. So, I mean, that's part of the steps we have to go through is realizing you're not the problem. It's, it's me calling for love because I've got myself afraid of it. So we have to kind of work through those steps, I think, at least in respect to the course. Unless you want to hang out with Muji and he'll just take you right there. <laughs> for a little while anyway. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jim. All right, let's see who is, somebody was next for paragraph six. I think it was me. All right, Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Only appreciation is an appropriate response to your brother. Gratitude is due him for both his loving thoughts and his appeals for help. For both are capable of bringing love into your awareness if you perceive them truly. And all your sense of strain comes from your attempts not to do just this. How simple, then, is God's plan for salvation? There is but one response to reality, for reality evokes no conflict at all. There is but one teacher of reality who understands what it is. He does not change his mind about reality because reality does not change. Although your interpretations of reality are meaningless in your divided state, his remain consistently true. He gives them to you because they are for you. Do not attempt to help a brother in your way, for you cannot help yourself. But hear his call for the help of God, and you will recognize your own need for the Father. Oh, gosh. So now I have to appreciate him. Okay. Um. I actually have a tab 
right by the sentence, do not attempt to help a brother in your way, for you cannot help yourself. And I had put that there a long time ago. <laughs> but um, it's, it's really difficult for me sometimes when somebody I feel has wronged me to appreciate them. And, you know, realizing that it's your interpretation is hard to get to sometimes. But I, when I do it, I do see that it's my opportunity for healing. So I guess that's good. <laughs> A little ambivalent there. I, you think? <laughs> that's all right. Ambivalence is just fear. You know, right. Ambivalence is just just fear. And not only not only just fear, but it's a recognition that I, I need to be healed, you know, exactly. It's actually better once I realize that it's for me, you know. It's a relief. Yeah, yeah, it's a relief. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks. Yeah. Kathy. Mm hmm. You're up. Your, your interpretations of your brother's needs are your interpretations of yours. By giving help, you're asking for it. And if you perceive but one need in yourself, you will be healed, for you will recognize God's answer as you want it to be. And if you want it in truth, it will be yours, yours it will be truly yours. Every appeal you answer in the name of Christ brings the remembrance of your father closer to your awareness. For the sake of your need, then, hear every call for help as what it is, so God can answer you. Um, it's funny, the things that Tim was saying to Chris just a little bit earlier, because as we we're talking this morning, you know, I've heard it's either love or a call for love for a long time. And it's a little embarrassing for me to say that it wasn't, it was a very short time ago in one of the classes that it hit me in the chest. Like, it's not them, but it's either love or their call for love. It's my call for love. And that was really awakening. And I felt, but am I worthy to call for love? How can I call for love for myself if I can't give it to my brother? I had flipped it around. so. This is knowing that I'm allowed to ask for help for myself as well as my brother, since we're all connected, it was a real big breakthrough for me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thanks, Kathy. Another, another thing I think it's helpful to remember, he, he's not talking about behavioral help. He never is. I mean, this, this is not a course about helping somebody out behaviorally. We can, we, we don't have to. But the, it's a course about perception. So when I, a big theme lately has been, give me your blessing, Holy Son of God. So I get on the elevator, I hear somebody gossiping. I mean, that's, that in truth is what they're saying. Don't see me as this fearful thing on the elevator that wants to share fear. Please give me your blessing, Holy Son of God. And in my awareness, am I willing to do that? In my awareness, am I willing to see her 
he or she the way Jesus sees them, and then ultimately see myself that way. But it's in that giving that blessing myself that I, I, I realize I, I already have the blessing. Yeah. Lynn Altman had something. Yeah, Lynn. Yeah, there's something sort of rattling around here um, about this, how I um, see my brother. And I was thinking that if I see him as the one who's in need of help because he's behaving so badly and he's calling all that lofty stuff, I'm really, I'm using him to hide behind. It's sort of, I'm using him to avoid the fact that I'm choosing separation. And, and I'm using him as, I mean, it's, it's that scapegoat thing, but I'm just sort of seeing it more, more clearly that I really need him to be bad. I, I mean, I, this is it's said over and over and over again, but I'm seeing the need to have him be the bad one protects me, or I think it protects me from recognizing how fearful I am of facing my choice for separation. And so this, uh, what you're doing with the fear thing, it's, it's really powerful. I've dealt with fear my whole damn life, but this is a, really another level with it that's extremely important and powerful. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks, Lynn. Yeah, it is, again, always about seeing our own fear. And that, then the request for the help is in the right place. And it's meaningful because I've recognized that I need it. And so now, now, now we're in the right channel to begin to um, heal. Yeah, thank Debbie, you. Debbie had something. Yeah, this is, um, I, I think I got what Lynn was saying and I burst out laughing here in you, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a signal. It's a, like, a, uh, it's trying to get our attention. We think they're, that person could be annoying us uh, you know, they're going to consume my time. It's trivial. But what I, what I'm hearing now is it's a signal to wake up, Evie. You can decide you need help. It's, you're getting a signal by them aggravating you. You've got to ask the question and see what within you is really the mirror to that aggravation. So it's a, it's a calling. And many times I say, no, it's trivial. It's your problem, but it's an awakening. And then I get a little nervous at, my God, is it going to be more work for me to do? But yet there's a blessing in it. So I, I feel this tug of war that it is a signal to awake. There could be work that I have to go and think about, like the gentleman Chris had mentioned. Can I just skip over here? And <laughs> so um, it's pretty profound. So I um, hope that was useful. It's useful to me, though. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think the question that we posed at the very beginning to ask about everything is what is it for? What is this for? Why am I seeing? What is the purpose? The purpose behind seeing my brother like that? I wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't have a purpose. That's uh, serving the ego. And as we're finding out, it's, it's to protect that, that, that fear and to prevent my own healing. The ego does not want healing. <laughs> does definitely not want the healing of your mind and my mind. And it's very purposive to see, um, you know, the um, um, upset being caused by somebody or something outside of ourselves. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's Bruce's turn. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a couple of comments to make before on, on, on this wonderful yeah. conversation before reading the paragraph eight. And one was early in the, 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 uh, the session, the, the idea of distortion, uh, you know, really kind of grabbed me. And I was thinking about back in my old um, <laughs> ancient TV repair days, <clears throat> When I would go out to people's houses and and degauss their screens and and uh, you know you could take a, you can take a magnet and then the old tube type sets anyway not the not the new flat screens but the the old tube type sets you could take a magnet and put it up to the screen and all the it would would be the equivalent of pixels now you know the the beam would then get really it would distort the image around where the magnet is I don't know if anybody ever tried that but it, it you know it's on a color tv suddenly you see all this this you know psychedelic kind of thing happening with all the colors kind of warping yeah. around but that's kind of what our egos do is this like take one little pixel which is what our our, our separate identity is and then making it this big monstrous big deal about this one little thing and then it crowds and distorts everything around it uh, to the exclusion of of the, the the sameness, so the sameness gets lost in that, and, and the differences now become big deals. But uh, so, so you know, you know, we're we're basically all clueless because we're all looking through that that filter that distorts everything. And then the other thing about the, the you know uh, the calls for love, I was thinking about how maybe a tiny fraction of the time I remember that it's a call for love. And then an even tinier fraction of that fraction is when I, I remember that it's my call for love. <laughs> so so the, the times that I actually remember that it's my call for love is a, a small fraction of a small fraction, if I'm honest with myself. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I really could, you know, I really, really am depriving myself of more opportunities for being at peace if I just notice that the wasteland of that big desert of that tiny fraction. And that's why there's only like, you know, a little bloom now and then. But the whole the whole thing could be, you know, this oasis if I just noticed how many calls for love there, there were instead of, you know, just blowing it off, you know, like like Bevy was talking about, and and then and then realizing that among those, it's such an even smaller fraction, and and uh, you know, it, it'd be a, an oasis rather than a desert. <laughs> I think that's where the Holy Spirit is leading us. I'm still so, stuck visualizing you as a TV repairman. Did you have a little <laughs> hat and stuff? <laughs> No, but that's that's why that's why I kind of came up with a recovering dream repair technician metaphor. But I did have a little little you know like long after the thing for that. So anyway, okay, paragraph eight. By applying the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the reactions of others more and more consistently, you'll gain an increasing awareness that His criteria are equally applicable to you light bulb moment for to recognize fear is not enough to escape from it although the recognition is necessary to demonstrate the need for escape the holy spirit must still translate the fear into truth if you were left with the fear once you had recognized it, you would have taken a step away from reality not towards it yet we have repeatedly emphasized the need to recognize fear and face it without disguise is a crucial step in the undoing of the ego. Consider how well the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the motives of others will serve you then, having taught you to accept only loving thoughts in others and to regard everything else as an appeal for help. He has taught you that fear itself is an appeal for help. This is what recognizing fear really means. If you do not protect it, 
he will reinterpret it. That is the ultimate value in learning to perceive attack as a call for love. We have already learned that fear and attack are inevitably associated. If only attack produces fear, and if you see attack as the call for help that it is, the unreality of fear must dawn on you. For fear is a call for love in unconscious recognition of what has been denied. And my, my immediate response to that is, if we made up the world as an attack on God, then, then you know, everything in the world seen through that 99% of 99% of the ego is, there's some massive calls for love going on. We're just oblivious to. So anyway, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Bruce. Okay, um, nine. I'm number nine. Yes. Uh, fear is a symptom of your own deep sense of loss. If when you perceive it in others, you learn to supply the loss, the basic cause of fear is removed. Thereby you teach yourself that fear does not exist in you. The means for removing it is in yourself. And you have demonstrated this by giving it. Fear and love are the only emotions in which you are capable. One is false, for it was made out of denial, and denial depends on the belief in what is denied for its own existence. By interpreting fear correctly as a positive affirmation of the underlying belief it masks, you are undermining its perceived usefulness by rendering it useless. Defenses that do not work at all are automatically discarded. If you raise what fear conceals to clear-cut, unequivocal predominance, fear becomes meaningless. You have denied its power to conceal love, which was its only purpose. The veil that you have drawn across the face of love has disappeared. I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> Thanks. That's it for me. Uh, all right. And let's see, uh, Myra, there you are. You have that beautiful final uh, paragraph, Myra. Yeah, thank you. If you would look upon love, which is the world's reality, how could you do better than to recognize in every defense against it? the underlying appeal for it Yay. Yeah. and how could you better learn of its reality than by answering the appeal for it by giving it yes the holy spirit's interpretation of fear does dispel it for the awareness of truth cannot be denied no 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 thus does the holy spirit replace fear with love and translate error into truth. And thus will you learn of him how to replace your dream of separation with the fact of unity. For the separation is only the denial of union and correctly interpreted attests to your eternal knowledge that union is true. Well, what the Holy Spirit helped me go through several years ago. I'd just like to share that. For some reason, it just came through. I had to do lesson number two, 
that I have given a meaning to everything for a really long time, 30 days, 60 days, it just kept on going on. I give a meaning to everything. Wow, terrible, two terrible months, awful. I gave meanings, every meaning was a judgment. Judgments, it was, they were flying all over the place. They were about everybody and everything in the world and Myra and everything. And eventually to make a long story short, well, I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, well, now we opened Pandora's box. Now we really opened Pandora's box. Okay, here it comes. Get ready because here, here it comes. Forgiveness just wouldn't stop. Uh, the tears didn't stop. Uh, it was months of, of every day just crying. Oh, God, what am I doing? And to make a long story short, this turned out to be the most humbling experience I could have ever had. It changed my whole inner journey. From that moment on, everything has changed because right after that came, yeah, it just happens. Chapter 21, I am responsible for everything I see. And the I was no longer Myra. The I was the decision maker. And from that moment on, everything that's written here, every brother now, everything I see, I say, thank you. Thank you for showing me how off what a terrible, terrible, terrible block I have in my mind. I can thank every savior on my path, every single one. Thank you, thank you for showing me that this is in, this is my mind. You're, you're living my mind. I'm so grateful for you. Yeah. And it's, it's just been, um, you know, so, and well, one more thing, I'll try not to make it too long. There was a lot of fear and there were some panic attacks. And it was just like that passage from take Jesus' hand and just sit with him. And wow, going through the fear with Jesus was, was a miracle because what happened after that is that there was no more fear for the fear. There's fear. Let the, but let the fear come up now. It's okay because I just know it's not, it's nothing really. I just have to look at it with Jesus. Oh, here you come again. You want to make me scared? What do you want to make me scared of now? Okay. And I can really, we can laugh at it now. And I can say, here we go. And I can place the fear on the altar and we look at it together and the light shines on it. And I say, okay, until the next time. But doing, but doing lesson number two for a really long time was the most humbling experience that I ever had. It changed everything for me. I love it. Thank you for listening. Uh, uh, thank you, Myra. Thank you for here, sharing that healing with all of us. Yeah, it helps to uh, know someone's gone through looking at all the fear and now knows that it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for doing it for everyone, <laughs> everywhere. Amen to that. <laughs> All right. I have a lesson for us to close with. It's very consistent with what Myra just shared. And it's lesson 293. 293- Page 445, all fear is past and only love is here. All right. All fear is past 
and only love is here. All fear is past because its source is gone and all its thoughts gone with it. Love remains the only present state whose source is here forever and forever. Can the world seem bright and clear and safe and welcoming with all my past mistakes oppressing it and showing me distorted forms of fear? Yet in the present, love is obvious and its effects apparent. All the world shines in reflection of its holy light. And I perceive a forgiven world at last. Father, let not your holy world escape my sight today. Nor let my ears be deaf to all the hymns of gratitude the world is singing underneath the sounds of fear. There is a real world which the present holds safe from all past mistakes. And I would see only this world before my eyes today. We'll take a few minutes to share in your peace and silence. And gently, gently come back. Thank you. Thank you, mighty companions for doing the work together. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you so Thanks, much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for, for calls for love. Mm, thank you.